So if you've got your Bibles here, can you open to 1 Timothy chapter 4, please. One Timothy chapter four verses one to sixteen. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that you have spoken clearly to us through and inspired by your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would bless now the preaching of your word, that you would soften our hearts as we hear it, and that you would be glorified now through the preaching of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we all know that if you, if you don't do any exercise, if you don't try and live a healthy lifestyle, if you eat heaps of junk food every week and KFC all the time, well, you're most probably going to become fat and flabby and... Uh, develop a higher risk of develop of having health problems. You know, be more prone to to pick up diseases and uh, live in discomfort. And there's a possibility, higher possibility, that is your lifestyle that you're going to get cancer or you know have heart problems or diabetes, possibly even culminating in an early death. 
So the threat of these things should motivate us then to, to lead an active lifestyle, to exercise, to, to, to eat well, to enjoy the Mediterranean diet as the Lord has, has so blessed us with. So what we see in this morning's text is, is a similar warning. Okay, it's not to do with our physical health, but rather something much more important, and that is, is, is godliness. Because this has implications for our lives now, but also um, our lives in, in eternity. And so Paul is, is warning Timothy against the danger of destructive and demonic false teaching that has infiltrated the church. And the result of this false teaching is that it leads people to shipwrecking their faith. So it's unhealthy. It's like junk food, okay? It's dangerous. It's cancerous. It eats you up from the end stuff. It's, it's deadly stuff. So how then is the church to stay clear of this and, and, and keep healthy? Well, what we're going to see is Paul instructs Timothy to train, to exercise in godliness. And what we're going to see here is that in order to grow in godliness and be healthy spiritually and avoiding toxic junk food teaching that kills, we're to exercise in godliness, finding our hope and rest in Christ Jesus himself. So let's get straight into it. First point, the teaching of demons from the first five verses. Now, if you've been um, following the, our, our series through 1 Timothy, we've already seen that a big part of the context, um, a big part of, the, of, of one of Timothy's problems that he's experiencing as a young pastor in pastoring this church in Ephesus is that there are, there are a lot of false teachers who've infiltrated the, the leadership of his church and teaching some weird and wacky things. And so here in, in these couple of verses, we get to see some more of the details of what exactly these false teachers are about and, and what, are they, what they, they were teaching. So the first two verses. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So, first thing we can see here is that it's clear that Paul was acutely aware that he was writing divinely inspired scripture. Okay, that the letter isn't filled with his own opinions. Okay, nor was he unconscious that, uh, that he was writing scripture. He knew he was writing scripture. Because he, it's, we see here that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he was exercising the special revelation that he received as part of his apostolic office that is not available to us today since the apostolic office, as we've seen in previous uh, sermons, was, was temporary. So he's no, no longer office of apostle um, who receives special revelation. So how we hear from the Spirit today is not by turning within to our own sinful hearts, but rather 
by reading these Spirit-inspired words of Scripture. And there we see very crystal clearly what the Spirit is saying to us. So we see here that the Spirit clearly says that in the later times, now what does that mean in, in, in New Testament language? Well, it means now. Okay, this is from the New Testament perspective. We have been in the end times since the day of Pentecost. And we see that from the prophecy of Joel 2 fulfilled in, in Acts 2. And it's this warning from the Holy Spirit that in these last times, in this age since Pentecost, there are some that will depart from the faith. So this issue of false teachers is not just an issue that plagued the first century church. It's a perennial issue that keeps bugging the church and will keep on bugging the church until Christ returns. So we, in other words, we always to be aware that there are false teachers around. Now, the warning here is that some will depart from the faith. Now, if you've got your Greek in front of you, like our, our Greek nerds have, um, <laughs> we'll see that the Greek word that is, is used for um, departure from the faith is where we get the word apostatize. So what is apostasy? How do you commit apostasy? Is, are we talking about here genuine believers losing their salvation? No, maybe because that is not possible according to the word of God. Okay, all who are truly in Christ will endure to the end. Okay, for example, 1 Peter 2.23 tells us that those of us in Christ have been born again with imperishable seed. So we're born again, we can't be unborn again. We have God's Holy Spirit in us who he's not going to take away from us. Okay, or 2 Timothy 2.13, he is faithful even when we are faithless. So this should be a source of great comfort to us. The fact that true, as true believers, we cannot be cast out of God's presence in terms of we can't, we can't lose our salvation. Okay, we go have our ups and downs and wrestle with sin and doubts and all that. But God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. Okay, that's the beauty of his grace. And we thank the Lord for that. So if that's not apostasy, what is apostasy? Because the Bible talks about it. Well, apostasy is the rejection, the active rejection of faith in Christ by someone who claims to be a Christian. So the reality, though, is that when people commit the sin of apostasy, it's evidence, actually, well, that they were never really true believers in the first place. And this is what 1 John 2 verse 19 is describing. It says that they went out from us. In other words, they apostatized. They rejected the faith. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, if they were true believers, well, they would have stayed Christian. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. So how do these people apostatize? Okay, rest of verses 1 and 2, it says, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So they devote themselves 
to the teaching of false teachers who deliberately go out of their way to deceive the church and who themselves are demonically inspired. I was using heavy language here. Their teachings are not just some, some human things that they have made up, some you know, philosophies of their own. They find inspiration from the demonic. Yeah, they are not teaching God's word, but they, 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 their teaching is rooted actually in demonic spirits. And what does this teaching look like? Well, verses three to five, those, they, they forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So what's the nature of this false teaching that was going on here? Well, it is what we would call ascetism. And ascetism has this veneer of godliness, of, of piety, of, of spirituality, by denying what is considered to be fleshly pleasures. See in, in verse 3, they, they forbade marriage. They didn't eat certain foods, and it was probably meat, because you saw Paul also deal with this in, in Romans 14. And so they believed that all sexual activity was evil in itself. It was fleshly, so that's why they rejected a marriage. Um, they, there was a denial of these pleasures of, of sex and rich foods, and the understanding was that the, the way that one gets closer to God is um, by rejecting these pleasures of the world and um, denying yourself, and um, that's the way in which you really become spiritual. And you really attain enlightenment. So it's essentially a, a salvation by works. As a form of, of, of legalism. And this uh, teaching was rooted in, in um, dualism or uh, Gnosticism. These philosophies which are very closely related. And that's the belief that everything physical is evil in itself. While the only thing that is good is, is spirit, what is, what is unseen. So they believe that the, our bodies are evil while our spirits or souls in us are inherently divine. That we have these divine souls that are trapped in these evil, yucky, dirty bodies. And so this belief led to these two extreme forms of behavior. The one of which we see clearly spoken about in this text. So uh, it's this denial of, of anything earthly, anything physical, anything fleshly. But it also led to just the opposite, an indulgence of these sinful things as well. And that's the rationale of an extreme dualism is that if you believe the body is inherently evil, well then actually it doesn't matter what I do with my body because the soul is the only important thing for, for me. So it led to a justification of committing all sorts of evil. Whether it was uh, gluttony or sexual immorality or uh, drunkenness. Believing that, that your body is, is completely disconnected from your soul. So they rationalize sin through this, this radical dualism. 
So obviously, both these things, on the one hand, the denial of, of, of uh, things and the indulgence of, 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 of these things is destructive. It's, and it's completely at odds with biblical truth. Now, what is the biblical truth in the light of all this? Well, verses 3 to 5 explain. There's this, the Bible rejects a spirit matter dualism, um, which lies at the heart of this false teaching that was going on here. And instead, the Bible sees a wholeness and a unity between our bodies and souls. What we do with our bodies, we do with our spirits. You can't you know, neatly separate them. Both body and spirit are created by God to be used to, to glorify Him. That's why um, in verse 4, Paul quotes uh, from Genesis 1, 31, saying that because everything, okay, both physical and spiritual, that God has created is good, nothing is to be rejected. And so what this is pointing us to is that God has blessed us with common grace, okay, with good things in this life for everyone on earth, whether they believe it or not, to enjoy. And this is what Psalm 104, 14 to 15 is talking about. Is you, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So it's talking about these wonderful blessings that God has, has given us, these good things, whether it's all sorts of foods, meats, plants, nice fresh bread, oil, wine, that God has given us as gifts to enjoy and, and uh, enjoy and um, see them as, as forms of pleasure to be enjoyed with, with other people. These are physical, earthy things that are, are, are blessings. We do receive them with, with thanksgiving. They are not evil in themselves. And likewise, while singleness can be a, a gift from God for some, 1 Corinthians 7 Six talks about for many marriage is a gift from God. Yeah, it, it is. This is a good thing for a man and a woman to enjoy the blessings of sexual union within the marriage covenant. Proverbs eighteen twenty two: He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So obviously, abusing these good gifts. From God is sinful, whether it's in the form of drunkenness or gluttony or sexual immorality. But instead, we ought to responsibly enjoy God's common grace blessings with humble thanksgiving and acknowledging that He is the one who gives these good gifts um, to us, that we may glorify Him and enjoy Him through them. So it brings us to our second point training for godliness. So from 6 to, to the end. So we've seen that these, these false teachers in, in Timothy's church were actively teaching these destructive and, and demonically inspired teachings. They were damaging people in the church. That's always the result of false teaching. It damages people. 
causing even some of them to apostatize. So how does Paul instruct Timothy to, to deal with the problem? Well, let's look at verses 6 to 8. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. While, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So false teaching is false simply because it's not rooted in God's word. Okay, God's word is the arbiter of what is true and what is false. And if it's not rooted in here, it's false. So instead, false teaching is rooted, as you saw before, is rooted in, the, in teaching of demons. So what's the antidote to false teaching? The word of God. So Paul is instructing, encouraging Timothy to be trained in it, to be rooted in good doctrine that comes from the word. At the same time, actively rejecting false doctrine, which is called here in verse 7, irreverent, silly myths. On a, on a practical level, brothers and sisters, don't believe every quacky WhatsApp video from some self-proclaimed prophet that is sent to you. Delete, reject, <laughs> don't forward them, don't even bother to watch it. Okay, there's just kookiness out there. These are irreverent and silly myths. Instead, we are to train ourselves for godliness. Now, the word that's used for train in the Greek is gumnaze, and that's where we get the word gym from. Okay, so the, the all the... All the gym guys are nodding their heads, yeah? Um, that's, so it's, Paul is specifically having in mind physical training. Okay? Doing weights, doing the hard work. And as beneficial as keeping your body in shape is, okay, through physical exercise, what we see here is well, that, that exercise for godliness is even more beneficial. And it's, infinitely more important. And why is this so? Well, bodily training, you have certain experience benefits in this life. You'll be healthier and live longer, but training in godliness, not only are you going to experience much benefit in this life, but you're going to experience that benefit in all eternity in the life to come. So what then is the purpose of this training? Well, verse 10 tells us, for to this end we toil and strive, for we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So we to train in godliness, rooting ourselves in, in God's word, because through it we are strengthened in the truth of the gospel. Because that, the thing is, at the heart of all false teaching lies one common denominator. And what is that common denominator? It is the rejection of the gospel. And we saw that with the ascetism that was present in the Ephesian church is rooted in a strong legalism. 
Hey, no, you mustn't get married, then you'll be more spiritual. You mustn't eat meat, then you will attain enlightenment. You must deny yourself all these things. You must do X, Y, and Z, and then you will be a holy person and attain enlightenment and salvation. And you know what? It's, it's similar with the false teaching that's predominant today in Upper Highway land. If you do more signs and wonders, then... If you speak more prophetic words, then. If you sow a seed of faith, then. If you do these supposedly spiritual things, then you will be really spiritual. And you will experience this blessing and favor that those carnal Christians will never get to experience. So in actual fact, it is be in by grace, but stay in by works. It's a Jesus plus teaching. Jesus plus miracles. Jesus plus prosperity. Jesus plus health and wealth. The reality is that if there's any any plus added to Jesus, it's not good. (laughs) Because Jesus is it. it's, It's another form of legalism. And it's really no gospel at all. Instead, in verse 10, it calls us to set our hope not on our performance of various spiritually sounding practices. That's not to be the focus. Instead, our hope is to be set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, the Greek can be translated as the savior of all people. That is believers. So, Who is this living God? Who is the savior of those who believe? Jesus Christ. Our sinful default setting is to try and save ourselves. And that's what all the false teachers and other religions teach you to do. That it's essentially man-centered. It makes us our own saviors, our own gods. And it's, it's a complete delusion. Because there's only one who can truly save us from our sins. Christ Jesus, our Lord, who paid the debt of our sins on the cross and dying for our place, in our place, who faced the, the wrath of God that we deserved, who rose again on the third day forgiving our sins, breaking the curse, reconciling us to our Father. And this is the true hope that that we have, that our salvation lies not in our own efforts or our own spiritual practices or, or levels of faith, but instead our salvation is rooted in the finished work of Christ, the living God who has accomplished salvation for us. So having this hope in the truth of the gospel, how are we to train? How are we to, what kind of exercises are we called to do here for godliness that we don't fall into deception. Well, the text gives us two examples. Verses 12 and 13 say, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So there are two ways in which we can train we instructed to train for godliness. The first way to train for godliness in verse 12. 
And that is to set an example of living a life of integrity. Okay, there, there should be no disconnect between what you believe and how you live. Be active in putting sin to death, in living a life of obedience to the word of God. And this is, is demonstrated in our conduct with others and how we speak to each other and how we conduct our, our lives in, in purity and how we love each other in growing our faith in Christ and, and, and trusting on him alone for salvation. In other words, growing in, in the fruit of the spirit. Because there's a, a direct connection between real holiness and holding to sound teaching. Now, the second way to train godliness is in verse 13, and that is to devote yourself to the word of God. So because all false teaching is a departure from the truth of God's word, if you want to grow up as a strong and healthy Christian who's able to resist the lure of, of false teaching, or root yourself in the truth of God's word. And that can be in, in your private study of it, um, certainly, and, and studying um, good theology, whether it's you know, at home uh, or doing a theology course, absolutely. But it cannot end there in those private activities. And the reason why is that Christianity is a public faith. It is not just a little thing we have in our private lives that is disconnected from um, the covenant community. It, it's rooted in the ministry of the church. And the focus of verse 13 is precisely that. It's talking about the public ministry of the word, the, the public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. And it's showing us here the importance of the ministry of the word that takes place every Lord's Day at church. Because there's something special and something unique that the Lord does by His Spirit when we gather in worship and hear God's Word read, preached, and taught week after week. God does something unique and special by the Spirit when that takes place. And this is what the Reformed Confessions call the means of grace. Okay, these are ways in which God promises to apply Christ and his benefits to us by his spirit. And one of them, the most important one, is through the preached word of God. This is why the Westminster Larger Catechism question and answer 155 says the following, how is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer is that the spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image, and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. That's a wonderful statement because these incredible blessings and, and, 
and benefits have been promised to us through the hearing um, of, of, of God's word, through the, the, the preaching of God's word every Lord's day. So brothers and sisters, don't, don't miss out. We, you want, if you want, you want to train in godliness and increase your immunity to, to false teaching and be strengthened against temptation and you want to put sin to death in your heart and grow up in Christ and be built up in grace and strengthened in the truth and the goodness of God's word, well, then come and sit under God's word every Lord's day. And the Lord promises to work all these wonderful blessings out in your life. So verses 15 to 16 conclude. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that, we may see, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul exhorts Timothy to train for godliness by practicing these things, living a life of integrity and devoting himself to God's word. And why? Well, lives and people's eternities are at stake here. Timothy's duty as, as a pastor, as an elder of the church, is to faithfully preach the word of God. If he is to neglect that, if he decides to go off and and preach about his feelings and the dream that he had last night and some pop psychology and self-help philosophies and some new revelation that he had anything other than the word of God, well, his congregation's not going to hear the gospel. They're not going to hear that it is God who saves sinners through Christ. And the implications of that are dire. They're going to wither away, have no hope of salvation and shipwreck their faith. There's a lot at stake here. Instead, call to faithfully and relentlessly preach God's, the truth of God's word in order that the church is strengthened in the gospel of grace and is fed and built up in Christ and in the knowledge of his salvation. So just to bring it all together here, Guys, there's so much spiritual junk food out there at the moment. There's so many distractions in our lives. And if you're not vigilant, it's easy to be led astray into the lure of, of, of sin, enticed by spiritual sounding yet dangerous teaching. The reality is that there's so much at stake. We've seen in this text the eternal state of your soul. Because what you believe really matters. The promise of the false teaching is that through your own abilities, through your own spiritual practices, you can get right with God. And this, we tend to love it because it feeds into our pride and our self-righteousness. But the reality is that it leads only to burnout and ultimately destruction because none of us have the ability to save ourselves. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one who has done what is necessary to get right with God, and that is Jesus Christ. Only he has succeeded where every single one of us failed. 
Only he has perfectly obeyed every one of God's laws. Only he paid the debt for sins that all of us owe. And only he offered himself as a perfect unblemished sacrifice for sins. And because of that, only he can make us right with God. So brothers and sisters, set your hope in Christ, the living God, our Savior, and trust in his True, pure gospel, what the word calls good doctrine, his finished work, and find strength and grace in his words. Finish off with Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Christ Jesus speaking to us as church. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen.